Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. Bless his holy name. Let all that is within me bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Forget not all his benefits, who forgives all, all, all your sin, heals all, all, all your disease, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. For the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. Lord, we worship you. We bless you from the bottom of our hearts. We thank you for the goodness that comes to us from you. And again today, as an act of faith, we yield our souls to you, our beings, everything in us, to giving you the praise that you are due. Lord, fill our hearts, our minds, our, our bodies, our relationships, our community, and our spirits with a fresh awareness. So we say, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, minister your word to us today. For Jesus, you said that your words are spirit and they are life. Amen. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you. Good to be in the Lord together. We are his body. Um, we are in community. And even though we are not in the same space, we are connected. And so, yeah, welcome. And uh, give me a like in the corner. Amen. I, I, I see that hand. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's good to be connecting with you. Today we carry on in our series on foundations. We remember from Jesus the parable of the wise and foolish builder. And, you know, we learned in the storm, appearances don't count. Foundations do. So don't blame the severity of the storm. Examine the integrity of our foundations. And uh, Jesus says that just hearing his word is not going to be enough. We've got to hear and do. So we don't only listen, but we also don't assume that we already know. So there comes both a listening and then a commitment to do. So we take time to listen to the words of Jesus and to the revelation of Scripture. Jesus says that his words, as I've just prayed, the very words themselves coming from him are spirit and they are life. And he challenges the enemy with a quote from Deuteronomy that says that, man, humankind, people don't live on bread alone. They live, live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we have this hunger as a foundation in our lives for God's word. But at the same time, we know that we don't just listen. We must do. 
So Jesus says that's how we lay this found, uh, the foundations of listening and doing. And, and Lindsay looked at a foundation then of listening and doing to God's challenge to call us to community. Then, I, I mean, to commitment. Not just kind of leave it all to God, but we've got to give ourselves in this journey. And then I took us through looking at community and not being stuck in the mud. And, and when we are, letting someone else connect meaningfully with us and breaking isolation. And then Bevan took us to look at the challenge of perseverance. And again, we, we hear from God that we have every grace afforded us, but that we are also called to choose this path of perseverance. And, and today I want to look at something that is absolutely foundational in our walk with God. It may surprise you, but today we're going to look at generosity. We turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and to Romans chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and I start in verse 6. Paul says this. Now he's talking in the context of an offering that the gen mainly Gentile churches, the churches that weren't in Palestine, the churches that Paul had been planting, um, and obviously including Corinth, but in uh, Macedonia and Thessalonica and other places, they'd all been taking up an offering. And then a whole team of people were going to come and take this offering to Jerusalem uh, and to, as it were, the, the mother church and, and, and minister to them in their time of uh, material need. And Paul says this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. So each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly, not under pressure, compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work, as it is written. They have scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness, notice this, out of their generosity, especially to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. There's a link between generosity and God, then generosity and righteousness. It's not nice to have. It is absolutely fundamental to the nature of God and to the definition of what the Bible calls righteousness. Then comes a promise. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. Notice that seed he supplies, God supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed. And will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, on every occasion. So that you can be generous on every occasion. And through your generosity, and through us, your generosity, Paul's saying, through us, when we get to Jerusalem will result in thanksgiving to God. 
Now there's a word in there and it starts all the way in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and occurs repeatedly. It's this word for abound, increase, overflow. And uh, the word also is used in Romans chapter 5. I want to kind of just read briefly from Romans chapter 5 and verse 17. It's talking about how Jesus has become the new Adam. And that the first Adam caused an overflow of sin. It spilled from Adam's life into the rest of humanity. And now something comes from God in Jesus that is also going to overflow to the rest of humankind. It's this idea of excess, of pouring over. And so we read this. Verse 17, for if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, talking about Adam, how much more will those who receive God's abundant, overflowing provision of grace and the, notice this, it was in the other reading, the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now, there's a ton of stuff in there, but I want us to see that word overflow. And it comes again in verse 20 and 21. For the law was brought in so that the trespass might overflow, might increase. But where sin abounded, where sin overflowed, where sin was excessive, Grace abounded all the more. Grace increased and overflowed all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death from the time of Adam, so also grace might reign. Grace might rule. Grace might have the dominion. It might be a kingdom of grace. Grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I've flagged it already. The word that links these two passages is the word for abound, exceed, perisio. Now, it means to exceed the measure, to excel, abound, to, to have much more than is needed, or simply just to overflow. Now, a couple of months uh, after Cindy and I got married, uh, she decided to give me one of my favorite childhood treats. It was a chocolate fridge biscuit, normally a little tray of, uh, you know, <clears throat> cocoa and icing sugar and, and, and some condensed milk and so on. So she got the recipe and set to work in our little kitchen flat in Surrey Estate and Clipfontein Road. And so there was the cocoa and the butter and the icing sugar and some crushed biscuits and four tea of condensed milk. Now we had all the other ingredients, but we only had one tin of condensed milk and obviously four tea. So off I went to the shop and I bought another three tins. I mean, what do I know about the recipe? No wonder I love these biscuits after all is what I'm thinking. Well, we'll talk about abound. Cindy quickly had to swap once she started adding all the ingredients in her mixing bowl for a bucket. And, uh, and then all the ingredients go in. Now, I don't know if you know the story of the widow's oil in 2 Kings chapter 4. This widow went to Elisha and explained that her sons were about to be taken as slaves because she couldn't pay her deceased husband's debt. 
And we read in verse 3, 2 Kings 4, that Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't just ask for a few. Then go inside, shut the door behind you and your sons. Then pour the oil into the, all the jars and as each is full, put it to one side. And the story goes that she did that, took this little jar of oil and she began pouring. And as she poured, she just filled bucket after bucket, container after container. Well, that's what's exactly happened in our kitchen, although it wasn't really an act of God. We, we ran out of containers. I mean, you're supposed to put a, a nice thin layer in each tray. Well, we used our baking tray. We used our roasting dish. We, we used some of our other dishes. And, and eventually I was going next door and borrowing more stuff. And, you know, we, we, then we had to try and get it to set. So we took all the meat and all the veg and, and all the dairy out the fridge and, and, and our entire fridge was just made up of this abounding substance. But unfortunately, a day later, it was no nearer setting than when we had put it in. So in the end, we had to invite a bunch of surfers from our youth group to come and eat pudding uh, just to get our fridge back. They thought it was amazing. They left on an epic sugar high. And, and neither of us knew that in baking terms, 4T stands for, well, certainly not four tins. Apparently, it stands for four tablespoons if it's a capital letter. So what we saw was this crazy overflow. We saw this gooey sweet mess. It was abundant. It was excessive. And, and what we see in the scripture is this idea that God loves to create an abundance. We often think when we have seen, we have seen God at work, when we have just enough, you know, when, when, when God gets us across the financial finish line or the provision finish line, like, like when, you know, the manna in the desert. If you were greedy with what God gave and you took too much, well, then it went rotten, it was smelly, and was crawling with maggots. And of course, we can trust Him and learn to be content no matter how much or how little we have. Because our joy and our contentment, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, is not determined by how much I've got, but by how much delight I take in Him, who gives me what I trust Him to provide. Think, however, of the feeding of the four and five thousand. There were twelve baskets left over. There were seven baskets left over. Sometimes the sign that God has been at work is not that we just have enough. Sometimes the sign that God has been at work is an abundance. Now here's the amazing thing. When it comes to grace... Paul's argument in Romans chapter 5 is it's in the nature of God to more than supply. You think sin is bad? You need to understand just how amazing and powerful and incredible God's grace is. And if you think sin was in charge, just wait until you see what grace can do. And God is releasing, pouring out grace. You see, God loves to give more than we need. This generosity of God 
this investment of God. And so God pours out an abundant blessing. But one of the things it does is when God gives us the abundance, is not only do we get to say, God, thank you for the blessing, we also face a test. What will we do with God's generosity? Romans 5 says that we are to reign in this life. You see, throughout Scripture, God causes many things to overflow, sometimes in and through His people. Gratitude that bursts its banks in our reading. Love overflows. Praise excels. Grace overwhelms sin, as it were. It, it more than matches it. And God bears witness to Himself often throughout Scripture, turning famine into feasting, death to life, loss into abundance. Now, we've, we've kind of learned in trusting Jesus that this abundant provision of mercy in dealing with our sin is something. We love the abundance of Romans 5. We love the abundance of grace. But you know, when it's really measurable in this life, like in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, where Paul is arguing for an abundance of generosity, not arguing for an abundance of stuff, he's saying God is able to handle the stuff, but what you know when God is at work is that you've laid the foundation of generosity in your life, in your church, in your community, in your city. But what we've got to do to, to, to release this generosity is to get this mindset of God's excessive abundance. And it needs to include when it comes to our stuff and our financial resources. Now, we're not alone, believe me, when in, in kind of thinking, well, grace, abundant grace, yes, amazing grace, yes, abundant provision, uh, well, we, we almost think it's unspiritual. And we're not alone. When I look at the commentaries, some of the commentators admit to struggling with 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, not because of the generosity, but because of Paul's excessive use. He overflows in using this idea of generosity and abundance. Um, and, and most of us want to keep the principle spiritual. But this passage won't let us do that. Paul takes the principle of God's nature revealed in our salvation, his abundance of grace, and he injects it into this area of God's provision and God's generosity. You see, we've got to get rid of this Grinch God idea where God is this fault-finding, mean, stingy God who steals Christmas, as it were. The God who thinks that suffering and sin and, you know, pain are, are, are our lot and our due. And so we just get what we deserve. The amazing thing of Scripture is again and again and again how little we get what we deserve. And, it's, and listen, it's not just in Jesus. Romans chapter 3 is very clear that God withholds judgment from everyone in his forbearance, in his patience. <laughs> Every single day our lives continue, God is being gracious, even before we come to faith. 
Now, back to 2 Corinthians 9. We see that the passage revolves around a single statement about God. Remember, we're going to see this thing overflow. Just like that condensed milk and cocoa and icing, this thing's going to overflow. We're going to have to give it away. We're going to send people out on a, on a high. Because when they've been in contact with us, they're going to receive so much goodness. But the, the, the principle of this is around verse 8, the main statement of the verse is, God is able. God is able to make all grace abound to you. The NIV says God is able to bless you abundantly. But actually it's all grace abound to you. In order that having, notice this, all things at all times with all that you need, you will overflow and abound in all good work or every good work. Now, so Paul uses the word all five times in one sentence. I mean, that's a bit, you know, OTT, but of course it's excessive. And opening up the well of generosity, if I could change the metaphor from the foundation, or laying the foundation of generosity, is a witness of faith to two things. That's what Paul is teaching us. God is able, number one. When you're going to unlock generosity, it is because you have become convinced that God is able. The other great principle is, so God's power, God is able, and God's mercy, He is able to make all grace overflow. So when you've become convinced, if we want to unlock, lay the foundation, unblock generosity, we want to get generosity, put in place, the first thing we need to do is think about God's power. Just how big He is. Just how much He can do. Just the fact that nothing is impossible for Him. God is able. We're going to unlock this. We've got to remember God is able and God is merciful. He is able to make all grace overflow. And when God overflows... Paul's picture is that we begin to overflow. By the time we get to the end of the passage, others overflow. And then praise overflows. And in the end, we back at the grace of Jesus. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Talking, of course, about Jesus. So here's the key point, and then I'm going to apply this. Opening. Take a moment, think about it. Laying the foundation of generosity is not achieved by increasing my financial capacity, but through changing my mind about God's nature and ability. Laying the foundation of gen generosity is not achieved by increasing my financial capacity, but through changing my mind about God's nature and ability. You see, if God supplies the resources of salvation abundantly, why should His nature change when it comes to supplying the resources of a world in need? And remember when Jesus taught us to pray for our daily bread, He was praying for every single human being made in God's image. This is not just for us. It's not even just for believers. And so Paul believes that when I begin to fill my mind and fill my heart with how God sees things, and I interpret things according to the lens of who is God and what can He do, 
then I begin to open up, lay down a foundation of generosity as part of my lifestyle. Now, two simple points of application from the text. First is, see yourself as a sower, not a consumer. See ourselves as sowers, not as consumers. You see, there's a scarcity worldview that we need to confront. And that scarcity worldview is not just what poor people face. Believe me, although they can, we all face it in different ways. And, and this way of thinking is the exact opposite of this abundance mentality. This ability to see things overflow. And it leads us back into poverty and to destruction. You see, when we're in a scarcity worldview, we spend our resources. We consume our resources. But we do not sow. Now if you think of seed, if you eat all your seed and you never actually plant some of it so that it might produce a new harvest, you are not sowing. And what we do then with a scarcity mentality is we say there's not enough and we hoard it and we monopolize it and we don't sow it. We don't give it away. We don't put it in the soil of life. And eventually we face judgment. The scarcity mindset in the economic world at the moment just increases the gap between rich and poor in two ways. This gap is called the Gini coefficient. Because it drives both poverty, a scarcity mindset drives both poverty and materialism. You see, for the poor, and this is, this is not a judgment, but it is a way in which when you're facing lack, you've got to confront this, this thing that says, I cannot afford to sow. We have to deal with the fear which drives the poverty and the materialism. Because fear is the root of a scarcity mentality. And when I have faith in God's power and faith in God's mercy, I can overcome that fear. And so we become too afraid to sow the seed because we are convinced we will need that to survive. And so everything in a poverty mindset gets consumed. Everything gets hoarded. And we just don't believe it, verse 10, that God supplies seed for the sower and bread for food. God is going to enable you to take care of things and bread for food. Guys, it is Thursday morning and we have just hit load shedding. So I've got to move a few things around. <laughs> Back in action. God supplies seed for the sower and bread for food. The Greek word for seed is the word sperma. Some of our resources are meant to give life. Don't be afraid and consume what you can sow for a new harvest. And the wealthy, well, you're driven by fear too. We're driven by fear too. And what we could sow and share, we hold on to. Not because we actually need to eat it, but because we believe the lie that there's not going to be enough for everyone and we don't understand the nature of God that he is able and <laughs> that he is able to make grace mercy overflow and so both poverty and material riches 
and materialism need a fresh vision of God. Faith to see yourself in the light of God as a sower, not a consumer. You see, this passage sees kingdom people as both industrious, sowing, and generous. We create resources and we share resources. And so in some ways, we want to ask God, God, give us understanding how we might sow some of our resources so that other people become sowers as well. And then we want to see ourselves as givers. We are going to see ourselves as sowers, not consumers, and givers, not getters. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 7b says, See that you also excel in the grace of giving. Romans 5 spoke about the immense grace that, it, that comes to us in Jesus. Now see that you excel. One of the things that, that grace lays down as a foundation in our lives is the grace of giving. Become an excellent giver. Train yourself to be a super athlete in giving. Which, the passage says, is the path to joy and to laughter. You want to laugh more? Learn to be generous. God loves a hilarious giver, a cheerful giver. Learn cheerful generosity. Not grumpy, angry, mumbling. No, no, no. Joyful, delighted generosity. Why? Because we want to be like God. Giving is an act of grace and faith. And we want people to give praise and thanks. So we get to share in the joy. We get to watch God multiply stuff. We get to give gifts, supply necessities, awaken blessing. See, right now there's a famine of these things in our world, in our land, in our city. So many people afraid to open their hearts again. And there is a certain amount of donor fatigue and just worry Creeping in, I want to say to you, God is able. PBC, God is able. We can keep trusting this foundation. You can build on it. Your house will not fall. And we as a church can be a prophetic picture of what an abundant generosity looks like. I'm really grateful I'm getting to preach this sermon after a wonderful month of generosity from yourselves. And we didn't include this in the, in, in the topics because we suddenly needed people to give. Praise God, people are giving, and we do need people to give. But part of that is, we, like with Paul, it's because we're giving it away. I think PVC this year will give away more money than we have given away ever in the past. Maybe even as much as double as what we have given away in the past. When you include our missionaries, you include our networks, and you include our response to COVID. It has been a wonderful thing. A wonderful thing. In a couple of weeks' time, we're going to kind of bring this together with testimonies about some of the things God has enabled us to do. You see, we've included this simply because it's what God is like. It's a foundation. Now, I know some of you have sown like that widow who went to Elisha. You've poured out what you thought was the very last drop. And Jesus sees you and celebrates your faith. 2 Corinthians 8.12 says, If the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable 
Not according to what, uh, according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. Paul says other people give, 1 Corinthians 16, just regularly, routinely, each week. They're just faithful. Each month, they're setting aside stuff. And if, and if that's your giving, well, that's an amazing way to do it. Maybe in your daily experience as well, look for other ways in which you can give too. But you know, God sees that. He delights in it. And still others of us, well, we're being tested right now by our abundance. God has blessed us with more than we need. Now is the time. He's given you bread for food. Now is the time for us to take the other seed, which isn't really food, if we're honest, and sow it in ways that sees our world healed. So PBC, as we come, I just want to bless you. Bless you with the knowledge that God is able. God is able to bless you abundantly, to make grace overflow to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. thank you. We thank you, Father God. We thank you.